Hello Church, we're in a series about the life of the prophet Elijah, and here we come to the story of Elijah and the widow. Now this story may be familiar to you, but I want us to really try to imagine what it was like for the characters in our story. So first, let me set the stage a bit. Elijah had been living in a ravine sent by God into hiding from evil King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, being fed by ravens and provided water from a brook. When one day, the brook dries up, and God tells him to arise and go to Zarephath in Sidon to dwell there. Now Sidon was a city-state north of Israel in what is now present-day Lebanon, and it was the very center of Baal worship. Queen Jezebel, who later tries to kill Elijah, was a Sidonian princess who we can only assume helped the idol worship of Baal to invade Israel. So Elijah, a man of God, is sent into what can only be described as enemy territory. And God tells Elijah, Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Now let's shift our attention to the widow. Because of Elijah's prophetic word that there would be neither dew nor rain except at his word, there's a drought in the land. And we know because it said later in chapter 18 that there's a famine due to the lack of rain. So this woman we meet in verse 8 of chapter 17 has lost her husband, she's poor, and there's little access to food. Just imagine the difficult situation she finds herself in, struggling to feed herself and her son. No resources, no government help, no security net. She is alone. She reaches into her jar of flour one morning to find she's down to her last handful, and her jug of oil is nearly empty too. Imagine the panic then the despair and hopelessness she felt in that moment. She has nothing left to give her son. She decides to go to the edge of the city to collect sticks for a fire and prepare their last meal, accepting that they will soon go hungry and die. This is when our hopeless widow meets our prophet. Elijah sees her by the city gates and asks her to bring him a drink of water. She agrees, and as she turns to get it, Elijah calls out, oh, and bring me a morsel of bread, too. Her heart must have sank as she realized she could not honor this visitor's request without giving away her family's last meal. She tells Elijah, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may, that we may eat it and die. We don't know exactly how it happens, but the Holy Spirit must have whispered to Elijah right then, and he tells her, Don't be afraid. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Here, in the midst of her hopeless situation, God, through Elijah, invites her to take a step of faith. And she does. She goes to her home and takes the last bit of flour and the last drop of oil and forms it into a loaf to bake for her visitor. Maybe holding her breath, she peeks back into her jars and sees that sure enough, the flour has not been used up and the oil has not run dry. And every day, just enough flour and oil remains to feed herself, her son, and Elijah from then on. 
But the story of Elijah and the widow does not end there. The Bible says sometime later, so we don't know how much time has passed, but Elijah has been living with the widow and her son for some time. All the while, God providing their food through the bottomless flour and oil. And one day, the widow's son becomes sick, so sick that he dies. And the widow, full of confusion and grief, accuses Elijah, saying, What do you have against me, man of God? Have you come here just to remind me of my sin and cause my son to die? Elijah takes the boy from her arms, brings him to the upper room where he was staying, and lays him on his own bed. Elijah cries out to God, Lord, why? Have you brought disaster upon the widow who has taken me in, causing her son to die? Then he stretches himself out upon the boy three times and prays, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. Scripture says the Lord listened to Elijah and the boy came back to life. Elijah brings him back down to his mother and she says, Now I know you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is truth. How do you think the widow felt when her son died? What do you think was going through her head? I know if it were, for, if it were me, I'd be thinking, God, why did you save us just to let my son die? I might doubt God really in control or whether he really is good. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like God let you down? Maybe God saved your marriage, but then you lost your job. Maybe your rebellious teen got saved in high school, but now they've lost their way in college. Maybe you've recently become a Christian and it feels like God's blessings have run out. You're not alone. It's safe to say all Christians experience doubt at some point in their walk with Jesus. God knows, so he encourages us through Peter's letter, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Jesus said it too, recorded in John 16:33. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We've been promised the trials will come. None of us are spared from the tribulations of this world. But do we live like we're waiting for the other shoe to drop? No. We can rest assured, because as Paul tells us in Romans, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's look at the story of Elijah and the widow to see what we can learn and how that might help us when the trial comes. And I believe there's three things we can take away from this story. There's probably much more, but today I just want to focus on three keys to trusting God in the midst of a trial. We need daily dependence upon Him, we need to take a risk, and we need faith-filled prayer. I love this story because it's not only miraculous that the jars of flour and oil never run out. God could just have easily made her a rich woman so she could buy her own food. He could have even cured her hunger entirely, right? But just like Elijah in the ravine, just like the Israelites in the desert, 
God met her need on a daily basis. Here's where we find that first key. Trusting God in the trial requires daily dependence. God intends for us to depend upon Him, to lean upon Him daily for what we need. Psalm 68, 19 says, Praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. Jesus taught His disciples to pray, Give us this day our daily bread. The widow may have taken that step of faith to use up her remaining flour and oil, but even after the jars were refilled the first time, the need for faith didn't go away. Every day, she had to believe anew that the jars would be refilled. Trials often push us to lean upon God more than when things are going well. But it's not that we need God any more in the trial. In fact, that may be why God allowed the trial in the first place. We have a tendency when things are going well to forget our need for God. It happens subtly over time. We start sleeping in, skipping our devotional time. We're so busy we forget to pray during our day. We might start to miss a few church meetings or we don't have time to meet with our community group this week. These things aren't required by God because we live under grace, but they are signs that we might be living out of our own power, our own wisdom. The trial reminds us we are not in control. If you're in a trial right now, be encouraged that as scary as it is, we are not in control and that is a good thing. Every trial we face is a fresh invitation to trust God with every day of our lives. Trials increase our awareness of our daily need of Him and strengthen our faith that He is indeed Lord over all things. Having a daily quiet time when we're in the good seasons helps prepare us for when those trials come along. Because as I immerse myself in the Word, I'm reminded of God's sovereignty, His power, His goodness, and His grace, and I'll know He's with me, come what may. As I mentioned earlier, when we meet the widow in this story, she's in a pretty hopeless place. She's just about given up when God sends Elijah to her. And Elijah, knowing God has ordained for her to feed him, challenges her with a step of faith. Now you might say at that point, she really had nothing left to, to lose. Uh, all she was giving up was her last meal. But when we're in a hopeless place, we tend to go into survival mode, avoiding risk at all costs. This is where God meets her, at her lowest low, when all other options have been eliminated. God gives her an invitation, an invitation to trust Him, to put her fate in His hands, to see that He is the God of impossible. She takes that step of faith and makes Elijah's bread before she makes one for her and her son. Now Elijah too was taking a step of faith. God told him, I've commanded a widow there to feed you, but he didn't point her out in the crowd and say, it's this one. Elijah was taking a step of faith, just walking into enemy territory. Sidon was a place where Israelites were hated and distrusted. He had no idea where he would say, stay, or where his next meal would come from, other than this word from God that a widow would feed him. And here's the next key. Trusting God requires risk. We've all heard the numbers how many times in the Bible God or God's messengers say, do not fear. And that's because God is usually asking that person to take a risk. And risk is scary. Our brains are programmed to avoid risk and seek safety. Anything that jeopardizes our safety in our brains causes alarm bells to go off and automatically our fight or flight response kicks into gear. 
faith in and of itself is a risk. We're saying, Lord, I trust you to be in charge of my life instead of me. I give up control and I will follow you. When we're in a trial, our faith is challenged. We don't know what the outcome will be. Taking a risk can look like leaving a job or ending a toxic relationship. It can look like making a move or starting something new. Or at times it can look like letting go, giving over the control to God and waiting on Him. The widow in our story was in a place of severe poverty during a drought and God asked her to give up all she had left. Do you sense God asking you to take a risk? Is there a change you need to make in your life or something you're grasping onto that you need to let go of? Or maybe you've never taken the great step of faith to follow Jesus Christ. He is inviting you to trust him with whatever you're carrying, whatever you're facing. One of those do not fear verses is Isaiah 41:10, which says, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And Psalm 37, five says, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will act. After God's miracle of the flour and the oil, the widow's story seems to take a strange turn. Her son becomes ill and dies. The widow's response is someone grappling with grief. Her grief comes out as anger toward Elijah and ultimately God. She does not doubt that God's in control, but she does doubt God's goodness. She sees her situation as a result of her own sin. And to be honest, I can often fall into this kind of thinking. If I'm following God, he will bless me. We look at God as a mechanical being of logical give and take. When the trial comes, I'm surprised like God isn't holding up his end of the bargain. But is Elijah shocked by her response? Does he condemn her? No. He too questions God for why this has happened, saying, O oh Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow by killing her son? Perhaps Elijah felt like a messenger of death, first prophesying a drought on the land, and now bringing in death into the home of this poor woman. But Elijah does not stop there. And here's our third key to trusting God in the trial. Elijah cries out to God. Trusting God requires faith-filled prayer. This is the first record of a resurrection in the Bible. Elijah had no context to pray for a resurrection, and yet he asks God for the impossible. He prays a powerful, faith-filled prayer. And as followers of Christ, we too can ask for the impossible. I shared a devotional a few years ago during the pandemic about the child's prayer that goes, God is great, God is good, and we thank him for our food. In my devotional, I shared how fitting this simple prayer is. Because God is great. Ephesians 3.20 says he is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. So we can ask boldly. In fact, in one book I read, the writer argued that God's power and authority demand that we ask. God is greater than anything we could face in this world. Jesus said, I have overcome the world, and he is a God who hears us. Elijah cries out, Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And scripture says, the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. He invites us to cry out to him, and he is able to do great and mighty things. But as the prayer goes, God is also good. 
while we can and should ask for him to break through in different areas of our life, we can also rest in the knowledge that if he does not give us the answer we long for, he is still good. Romans 8.31 tells us, God is for us. Who can be against us? But I realize there's a tension between these two characteristics of God. He is all-powerful and sovereign, and he is always good, devoid of malice. It can be hard to hope for something we desperately want, knowing God's answer may be no. Just asking is a step of faith. It's a risk. But meeting with God in prayer is a safe place, the best place to bring our hopes and desires, our disappointments and doubts, our hurt and confusion. We can bring it all to Him. As the French monk Brother Lawrence wrote, you need not cry very loud. He is nearer to us than we think. I walked through a difficult season when my husband and I lost two babies to miscarriage in the same year. And we faced the reality of this tension, God's greatness and His goodness, when I got pregnant for the second time. I had an ultrasound to see how far along I was, and the baby seemed to be measuring too small. The doctor said it looked like I had had a miscarriage. But to be sure, they would wait another week and do another ultrasound. During that week, Nick and I prayed fervently that God would save our baby. We asked boldly, and it was scary. I remember one night I was washing the dishes, listening to some worship music while Nick put our older two kids to bed. A song came on that I had never heard before, and it wasn't a worship song, so it was unusual for this station. The song was Even If uh, by Mercy Me, and the chorus goes like this. I know you're able, and I know you can, save through the fire with your mighty hand, but even if you don't, my hope is you alone. As I listened to the words of this song, I broke down in tears. I knelt down and I cried out to God, Lord, let this be my prayer. I know you can save, but even if you don't, may my hope be in you alone. We did lose that baby. God's answer was no, but I felt God's presence and nearness like I never have during that time. He comforted me through others in surprising and loving ways. I felt his goodness, and my faith was actually strengthened that he could still be good, even if his answer was no. Are you in an even if season right now? Do you need encouragement to keep praying boldly, to persist in asking, even if God doesn't answer the way you hope? God has blessed us with the church body to carry our burdens. Remember that story in Exodus when the Israelites were fighting an enemy and whenever Moses lifted his staff in the air, the Israelites were winning, but whenever his arms fell, they were losing. When Moses could no longer keep his arms lifted, Aaron and Hur came to his side and lifted up his arms for him until the battle was over. Sometimes we need people to come alongside us and lift our arms in the battle. Ask the members of your community group to pray with you and for you. I know there are many situations in our church that community groups have been praying months, even years for. Don't give up. Let's continue to carry each other's burdens and comfort those who mourn. In fact, that's one of the reasons God allows trials in our lives, that we might comfort those around us. 2 Corinthians says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion 
and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Don't underestimate how your story might encourage someone else. We can all be tempted to hide our struggles, our doubt, to minimize how we are really feeling, but that's a scheme of the devil. The trial you're facing today could be the story that fortifies the faith of another sister or brother in Christ. God allowed trials in Elijah's life and the life of the widow in order to grow their faith and demonstrate his power. But these miracles also point to a greater prophet, the prophet who would feed thousands and raise the dead, the one who would face the ultimate trial and he himself be resurrected that we might be saved. You might be asking, why did you allow this God like the widow? Why did you save me only to make me endure this trial? Remember, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Jesus' death and resurrection remind us that God is a God to be trusted. Jesus gave up everything that we might have life. He has rescued you from the jaws of sin and death. How will he not also be with you in the trial to bring you through it? Jesus came to earth to heal all of its brokenness so that one day trials will be no more. We will live eternally in peace and joy with none of the hardships we experience today. So be encouraged that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You know, I wondered as I was reading and studying this story, why didn't Elijah pray sooner? The passage says that the widow's son got sicker and sicker until there was no more breath in him. Why was he only prompted to pray once the boy was dead? I think God wanted to show that there was nothing he was not Lord over, nothing he could not save, even beyond the grave. Whatever you're facing, God is with you, and he is Lord over it all. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are indeed Lord over all things. Whatever we face, whatever trials we endure, you are with us. Lord God, I pray for anyone who's in the midst of a trial right now that you would remind them of your great love, strengthen their faith to continue to trust you, draw them to yourself to daily lean upon you for all that they need. Father God, I pray you would speak clearly if there's a change they need to make, a step of faith you're calling them to take. Fill them afresh with your spirit to persevere in prayer and as a church, Help us to carry one another's burdens, to lift up the arms of those who are struggling. Lord, we praise you for you are great and you are good. In Jesus' name, amen.